You're about to hear a story of murder, greed, corruption, violence, exploitation, adultery, and treachery. All the things we hold near and dear to our heart. Welcome, my name is Becky. And this is Claire. And welcome to Podway! Yay! Yay! <laughs> Um, so you probably know by now, but in, in this podcast, we'll be talking about things about musical, and in today's episode, we will be talking about Chicago. So um, this musical follows Roxy Hart, who is a housewife in the 1920s. She murders her lover and gets sent to prison. So uh, Roxy is exposed to the hypocrisy and corruption of the justice system and media, and she takes advantage of that to launch her vaudeville career. So, um, Claire, out of curiosity, um, I'm going to let everybody know we were exposed to the movie musical first. Um, but when when did you first see it? How were you first exposed to Chicago? So I actually first see it when we were preparing for this episode. Ha-ha. Oh, I saw it before. No, I did not see it before. Oh, I mean, okay. I seen the poster and yeah. I heard of it, but I didn't watch the whole thing. Yeah, so I came in with no expectation again, and <laughs> it was fun. I'll, I'll I'll give it to that. I think this is actually maybe one of the rare chances where I I guess I prefer the movie over the musical itself. But Ooh, we I'll can talk about yeah. yeah, we can talk about that later. Okay, um, but I'm sure you were familiar with a few songs from here, probably Cell Block Tango and all that jazz. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> I heard of it. Yeah. Do you remember like where you heard of it? Or... I have no clue. No I, clue? I don't even remember where I heard them, but <laughs> as soon as like the movie start playing all that jazz, and I was like, oh my god, I knew the song, I just don't know where I heard it from. Yeah. Oh, okay, so you didn't even know it belonged to this musical. That's right. <laughs> oh my god, that's so exciting. I, I was totally like incorrect in myself. I was like, oh, we both were familiar with the musical. We saw it way before. So my history with it, um, I saw the musical way before, probably around 2010. Not 2010, when I was 10. Sorry. And there was still Blockbuster back then, or at least there was still Blockbuster in Israel. Um, and my brother took it out and he brought it home and uh, we watched it together. I really enjoyed a musical, uh, and I think it was one of the first movie musicals I've seen. If you guys remember in the early 2000 or like the mid 2000s, there was a whole movie musical craze. And I think this is one of the biggest launching pads of that movie musical. And I remember being very, or slightly at least, terrified of the cell block tango, but overall really impressed with the entire production. That's nice. That's nice. <laughs> Have you seen the musical before? Not the, the- movie? Uh, no, I haven't. So I've only okay. seen the movie musical. And uh, the movie, movie musical is really, really good. Uh, it's definitely worth revisiting. And surprisingly, it's very similar to the like musical itself. There are obviously a lot of key changes, and we'll probably discuss a few throughout the uh, song by song discussion. But largely, it is very faithful. Um, okay, so how about I'll recap a little bit of the history of a musical? Um, because it's very substantial, actually. So um, the musical is based on a play by Maureen Dallas Watkins, uh, and she originally wrote it in 1926. And it's based on real life events. She was a journalist for the Chicago Tribune, and uh, she covered a lot of murder cases uh, in her capacity as a journalist. And during the 1920s, there was actually a spike in uh, women who murdered people, and the media usually talked about them in a very sympathetic way. There were a bunch of journalists uh, that 
faithfully give sob stories to the murderers to put them in a good light for the jury. Um, so this is where it kind of stemmed from. So the play received a musical adaptation in 1975, and it actually originally really underperformed on Broadway uh, because both the critics and the public thought it was far too cynical. They didn't really connect with it. They're like, this is too bleak. Um, and it actually also lost every single Tony Award nomination that, uh, oh, no. that year when it went head to head against the chorus line. Um, which is also obviously a really big musical, but I feel like Chicago nowadays is much better known than A Chorus Line, right? I think so too, because I never heard of the other one, but I definitely okay. have heard of Chicago before. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of both, but definitely I've heard of Chicago earlier, and I know a lot more famous numbers from Chicago. Um, but yeah, it became actually really popular when it was revived on Broadway in 1996, and it won every single Tony nomination, save for two. So it actually got a lot of awards that, that year. Um, and the peak popularity of the musical was, of course, in 2002, when uh, the movie musical Chicago uh, came out, starring Renna Zellweger, Catherine Zeta-Jones, and Richard Gere. And it swept six Academy Awards, uh, which is super unusual for movie musicals, and it actually didn't happen since 1968. It, it was very slow to start, but after like a more contemporary spin on it, people really fell in love with it. And I think it has a lot to do with like the culture of the time, like the O.J. Simpson trial and the mm -hmm. celebrity criminals, kind of like Lindsay Lohan um, and like all the, all the drama that existed in the 2000s around the criminal justice and media and how the media portray portrays criminal justice and people can really resonate it, resonate with them. Yeah, and I think it actually is really, really popular today still because it's still relevant because like people and the media and the, and the cycle of how like the criminal justice and the media portray each other is so relevant today. It's crazy. <laughs> um, but I'm hoping we can talk about it more in the song by song discussion, I guess. Um, so we're starting with the overture and it's essentially like the orchestral um, sound of all the numbers that are going to come up in act one. And just for clarity, I guess, we can mention that we watched, obviously, the movie version, and we watched the 2015 Broadway production. I really enjoyed that. What did you think of the musical? I don't know if it's because the movie did too good of a job. Uh -huh. I find the musical version actually a little bit disappointing just because it's not as, um, I guess, visually impressive as it is in the movie. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's that's what film does, right? Like, it provides, like, angles and, I guess, scenes that you wouldn't otherwise see in the musical. Still, like, the vocals and everything acting, they're all great. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just, I guess, coming from the movie and having that sort of expectation in mind that it was a little bit different than what I originally had expected. Fair enough. Um, yeah, the, the production we saw featured Amra Faye Wright and Brandy Norwood. I heard Brandy is actually like a big pop star. I've never heard of her before this. I just saw people in like the comments saying, oh, Brandy would be really suited for a musical theater. And this is her uh, Broadway debut. And I think her only Broadway show that she ever did um, and that's really disappointing. She was um, she was Roxy. I thought she did a fantastic job. So yeah, so these are the two versions we've seen, and then um, these these are what we'll base our opinions opinions on. Mm -hmm. So uh, segue to all the jazz. Um, so it's sang by Velma, who is uh, one of the main characters that we'll talk about uh, throughout, and she's performing her vaudeville act in that song. So it's actually a diegetic song that exists within the world of the musical. 
the town And all that jazz I'm gonna rouge my knees And roll my stockings down And all that jazz Start the car I know a whoopee spot Where the gin is cold But the piano's hot It's just a noisy hall Where there's a nightly brawl And all that Jazz. Um, and throughout a song, we see Roxy seeing Velma, but halfway through, she goes with her lover back home. Um, and by the end of the song, she kills her lover for wanting to end their relationship. And that's like the staging for the show, essentially. Um, a big difference, actually, that happens between the movie musical and the musical itself is in the movie musical, we see, like, her lover, his name is Fred, I believe. <laughs> she has, like, a change of motive, really. So the reason why she uh, slept with Fred originally or she had an affair with Fred is because he promised to get her on vaudeville. He promised to get her famous. And she finds out that he doesn't actually know anybody in industry and he lied to her. And also, before she shot him, he was kind of violent toward her, like he pushed her and she fell on furniture and stuff like that. And in the, mu like the actual musical, she just like heard that he wanted to end a relationship with her. And then she was like, oh, okay, I'm going to shoot him. And right after <laughs> she's like, oh, we, I got to pee. Um, so she obviously is not remorseful. She's not really phased by her murder. So it's like a really big deviation, I feel like, between them. But what did you think about all that jazz? Okay, so the song itself, I like it musically, which is pretty weird, considering it's very jazzy-like, and I usually don't, I'm, I'm not like a big jazz person, but I still really like the song. I think it's very nicely sound, and it's very charming, I think. I like how the camera angle before the song begins, it was like, we have a very extreme close-ups to yes. everything, but... Velma's face so it's really interesting like use of that camera angles too um mm. so we're not really revealed to like what she looks like until she is on the stage with a spotlight I really like how they did it in the movie version uh, between Velma on the stage and Roxy in the audience mm -hmm. so from like these kind of images like we clearly see Roxy's desire to be in like Velma's shoes and we also mm -hmm. see like a snapshot of um she trying to like a stealing the spotlight and uh -huh. trying to like being on that stage instead of Velma. So I thought that was really interesting. So because it also kind of symbolizes like as she kind of steals the popularity in the media later on in the show. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. In terms of Roxy's motive for killing, like I agree with you. I feel like the movie did it a little bit better. Oh, um, oh, not better, but like. They did like trying to make it look like Roxy has like a soften, more softened character in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, but I actually prefer the musical version because right. I feel yeah. like that's like the true character of Roxy, you know, like mm -hmm. she kind of just comes up at this like pretty selfish, and mm -hmm. I feel like she has her goal pretty carefully. And I don't buy the innocent, naive type one bit, so I yeah. feel like the movie version didn't do her justice, and the musical version, um, on the contrary, just shows us who she really is. 
Exactly. And I feel like it's also really unnecessary in the terms of, like you mentioned yourself, the camera angle does a fantastic job in showing us that she wants to be on stage. She wants to be the topic of discussion and she wants all the attention on her. They didn't have to go and change her motive saying, oh, you know, she shacked up with him because she wanted an in into the showbiz world. And like he lied to her and that's how she got him. Like she she shot him. They didn't mm-hmm. need to do that because we already are crystal clear that she is interested in being in the spotlight. So they don't need to spell it out for us. They yeah. really don't. And it really detracts from her character, especially when you consider it with the second song. So in here, by giving her more of a reasonable motive, by him like lying to her, being violent, all that kind of stuff, it kind of underemphasized how ruthlessly ambitious and self-preservationist like Roxy is. Um, because like it's really evident in the next one when she's like literally selling her husband, like her husband could get hung and everything, um, and definitely go to prison for a prolonged period of time by covering for her. Um, and she has absolutely no issue with that. <laughs> yeah. uh, in fact, she encourages him to do it and she manipulates him to do it. So that really shows how ruthless she is because he is like her husband of seven years. Mm-hmm. And by giving us a false impression of her in this specific scene, it creates a dissonance with who we find out she is later on. Agreed. Um, yeah, so going on to the next song. So um, as I just said, Amos is covering for her. Roxy convinced him. Amos is her husband. Roxy convinced him to uh, lie and say he did it. And um, while he is giving his account to the police, Roxy is extolling her, his virtue and the fact that he covers up for her, how nice he is, how charming he is. He might not look like much, but his faithfulness is what's important. And then halfway through the song, when the policeman interrogates him, um, he hears the name of the victim and realizes Roxy lied to him about the murder. And then he starts telling on her and we get to see Roxy's reaction to the change of the story. And it's actually quite humorous, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, when it's discovered that it's Roxy who murdered uh, Fred, she gets sent to jail. And at first she is very nonchalant. She's like, oh yeah, I killed him. And what about it? And then they're like, you can be hanged. <laughs> She's like, oh no, what are you going to do about it? What should I do? I'm really scared. So you get to see her change of attitude and how she didn't take the murdering seriously at all until she heard what could become of her, um, which I think is is very interesting and very like faithful to the character. Sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong. But he doesn't care, he'll string along. He loves me so, that funny honey of mine. Yeah, I also find it very sarcastic. In the song, that like, she was like almost mocking how Amos is not smart. Because yeah. I believe the lyrics is like, he ain't got the smarts. Yes. But this is the part when he actually figured out that she was lying and having an affair with Freddie and or Fred, and um and he he was like, yeah, I didn't kill the guy, she did. Mm-hmm. So that was the part where um I guess her plan didn't go as as expected, mm-hmm. and I thought it was very ironic. Okay, so one theory that I read is that Roxy still kind of somehow has feelings for Amos, even though that she has no respect for him. So the reason behind that is because that you kind of see that 
um, she constantly refers him as like somebody who can provide her some level of like a safety, security, or like somebody who's sweet to her. But like obviously, I think both of us can agree that she is not attracted to him. Mm-hmm. But do you think that she has some level of no. feelings for no. him? No, no, not at all. Not okay. whatsoever. I think like she uses, she's viewing him as a meal ticket, which is something I think mm-hmm. they uh, repeat over and over again when um, Amos interacts with Billy. I don't think she has any feelings towards him besides the fact that he actually can provide for her, and that's what she needed as a woman because like her mobility as a person is very limited so i think that's exactly how she views him mm-hmm. i agree i think like she uses him as like some sort of tool you know like somebody who can get her money to get a lawyer somebody who um she can use in court to you know make people sympathize with her more and obviously even before all of the story begins like he has been providing for her materially too so that sort of safety and security that he brings to her is what makes her comfortable like she's very comfortable being loved by somebody um so unconditionally it's my opinion but i don't know like sometimes i feel like she has this sense of pity almost it's almost like saying oh you're so sweet I don't love you, but you're like kind of like a pet, you know. I mean, I understand what you what you mean. Mm-hmm. I personally disagree with it, but I can see where you're coming from. In my opinion, she doesn't have any feelings to anybody besides herself. And part of the reason why she chose him is because of the Lord knows he ain't got the smarts. She can do whatever yeah. she wants. She can sleep with whoever she wants. She can fool around. She can screw around, as she says later on. And he mm. won't know. And even if he does figure it out, and even if he knows for a certainty that she cheated on him, he will forgive her because he's easy to manipulate. Um, and I mean, I feel so sad for Amos throughout the entire musical. Me he too. deserves the world, but he gets nothing. Um, <laughs> so I do definitely feel for him, um, but she has no feelings for him that's for sure mm-hmm. um but in terms of the song itself i actually really enjoyed it i thought it was a very like soothing voice like soothing song even when halfway through she like switches to like insulting him that part became really humorous but it still is very soothing it's like a soft jazz kind of thing like the kind that you can imagine happening in like a very seductive kind of way almost when she's mm-hmm. trying to be like sweet to him um so I really enjoyed that and I think it's a good contrast to and all that jazz which is also like very like th- which is also jazzy right like funny honey mm-hmm. but in a more upbeat way mm-hmm. so we're going to something that is a more loving pan of jazz and it gets to see like the entire facet of the musical genre okay so moving on from that uh we are introduced to the other murders in the uh jail um, and the reason they committed it through the song Cell Block Tango. So um, we have Pop, who shoots her lover because she was enraged by the um, bubblegum popping habit. <laughs> Six, uh, who shot her lover, or actually she poisons her lover uh, because he presented himself as single, but he was actually married to six women. Squish, who stabbed her husband in response to his accusation uh, of her sleeping with a milkman. Aa, who is a Hungarian woman falsely accused of the murder of her lover, uh, and because she's unable to speak English, she can't defend herself. 
uh, Cicero, who is Valma, uh, who killed both her sister and her husband for having an affair with each other. And finally, Lipschitz, who murdered her lover for cheating on her with many, many, many people. And we essentially get to see their innocence versus guilt motif with the red scarves that you get to see. So um, all of them except for Aa uh, uh, have a red scarf symbolizing their guilt. And then you get to see Aa uh, who has her white scarf. And I think that's especially good because Aa uh, uh, and Velma go right after each other. And Velma maintains her innocence throughout the entire segment that she sings, but she shows two red, uh, two red scarves when she sings to show that she's actually guilty. Um, and another thing that I thought was really interesting between the guilt and innocence um, concept here is all of their dances are actually very sexualized, are wearing lingerie and all that kind of stuff, but uh, Aa has like a dance that is much more innocent I guess it's it's similar to ballet almost um so it seems much more modest and innocent compared to the other um murderers and I feel like it also uh is symbolized by her like being foreign I think ballet is associated a lot with like eastern Europe and specifically Russia even though she's Hungarian but whatever um and obviously it seems this is quite a quite an innocent uh art of like dancing um what did you think about the song I like it a lot. Um, it's very demanding in terms of like dancing skills. At least that's the case in the movie. I think the in musical, musical not actually. so much. Yeah. I don't think this song in the musical was very dancing heavy. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. But um, at, and obviously, uh, absolutely in movie, it was a lot more demanding, and yeah. I enjoy that a lot. So mm-hmm. props to the the movie for doing a really great job. Um, I find the the dancing very strong, like the energy that it translates or it communicates is very strong. It's mm-hmm. almost like these are all like very beautiful women and mm-hmm. they each like, carry a certain level of rage with them as they dance that brings the audience to kind of aggressively agree that these men kind of had it coming. And I feel like you're kind of put into a position where you're like more likely to be unconsciously agree with them that's the um, entirety of the musical actually right like, yeah. I don't... yeah and and this song especially i think it definitely embodies that um <laughs> more so than the others i think yeah I, I think the way that the scene is portrayed can really influence the audience feelings about the situation or the outcome of what's happening mm-hmm. and usually it tells how we should feel since these women were justified for their actions and i agree with you about the hungarian woman like she's mm-hmm. wearing Uh, more of I guess more modest costume or like her dancing is more elegant compared to the more sexual sexualized dancing that the other woman has and she's also using like a white scarf instead of the red so very sarcastic too because she's the only one who's you know going to be hunt like later on too um, well all the actually guilty women gets to walk free so 
Like I said, I really like the movie because it provides a kind of camera that is not possible in a musical and is truly visually impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the musical definitely has its charm, but it's just for this song especially, I definitely prefer the movie version. Mm-hmm. Um, I find the musical version, at least the version that we watched, trying to make it a little bit more comical rather than like the rage or like the anger kind of emotion. And oh, okay. So the other thing that I also find very interesting is that all the women murder for love in the scene. I kind of wonder if that's like any kind of pre-assumption that people had about female murderers back in the days that they only kill because they're they pop murder partner. for love. Like it's like all about men, no? No, no, no. They killed. They all killed men. But I think like all of it is accurate except for Pop because she killed because she was mad. Um, about his bubble gum. That's true. That's true. Yeah, um, but I yeah, thought yeah, that it would on. be really interesting if ever going to do an update of the song that they, they could be more interesting to see like what could be the other reasons that they commit the murders, um, not and not just because of the relationship. That would be something that's interesting to see. I think. Mm, yeah, that that's a good point. Uh, definitely, all of them were in a relationship at the very least, uh, and that that was a big drive for mm-hmm. the murders that were committed except for pop <laughs> um but in terms of the song itself i actually prefer I, I i really like the musical and the movie musical rendition of it and i prefer the acting in the in the musical itself that we watched because the crimes they committed were kind of nonsensical like the reasoning is nonsensical for a lot of them and it's way overblown the reaction like obviously being cheated on sucks but murdering somebody because you're being cheated on is definitely an overreaction and i think by making it comical it shows the audience how ridiculous this is and even though you root for them uh you root for them nonetheless even though they did commit these ridiculous murders that shows that really what they did is not important what's important is their personality and how you relate to their personality and you could forgive almost anything regardless of how like not like how little reasoning there is behind it okay and the other thing that i wanted to kind of i guess explore a little bit is also the female sexuality in chicago like we talk about the dance itself is pretty sexual and i think like back in its time in like 1920s it's pretty revolutionary because the way that the musical approaches themes about female sexuality is pretty firm like i think it rooted firmly in its era and um if you look at the characters, like almost everybody except Billy, like the men in this musical except Billy, are pretty mm-hmm. much props to help like moving along the plots. Mm-hmm. But in really the main characters in this musical are all female. Yeah. And I think that is pretty um, groundbreaking in a way because considering that like the women in entertainment before were pretty objectified. So I think maybe back in this time is very different it definitely stands out so in preparation for um this episode i watched like a really good video by a youtuber called mina lay i think that's how you pronounce your last her last name sorry if i pronounce it wrong um but she has a really good video about how sexy was uh the 1920s showgirl um i believe it's called the history of the showgirl costumes and contrary to popular belief from what we see in hollywood and like films vaudeville which is what like this musical evokes 
is very risque compared to what we see in contemporary or in um, actual like Hollywood or mainstream. Um, and people could be like naked on stage even as long as they don't move uh, and they can wear stuff that is very, very risque in some occasions. So it's actually very true to uh, the era and especially with what they want to convey. So like the entire thing in the um, in the movie musical, I don't think they evoke vaudeville as much as they invoke stardom in general. Um, and in the musical itself, they do definitely invoke vaudeville throughout the entire musical, like with different vaudeville acts and announcements between segments and stuff like that. They have a lot of um, ways to capture the vaudeville film. Um, but yeah, in general, the song itself is actually like amazing. I think it sounds... It's so catchy. It sounds so energetic. It's one of the highest energy numbers in the entire musical. It's recognizable. You would like understand the personality of every single one of the murderers, I think. Um, so it's really it's like something that could blow a person away, I feel. Okay, so after that really, really good number, we get another really, really good number, which is When You're Good to Mama. When you're good to mama, mama's good to you. There's a lot of favors I'm prepared to do. You do one for mama, she'll do one for you. So we get introduced to Mama Morton, who is the prison warden, um, and she gives you like whatever you want if you will give her something in equivalent value, and that's pretty much always money. Um, and we see she's like really nice and cozy to all the prisoners, um, and in return they're obviously very very nice to her. Not that they have much choice of prisoners, but they want to stay in her good graces. Like they crack jokes with her. They you can see that they don't want to um, shake the boat. Um, we see her congratulating Velma on her media attention and popularity, and we see that she's the one who sorted Velma out with her lawyer. This is the first time we hear about the lawyer, Billy Flynn, um, and his miraculous ability to get anyone uh, scot-free, non-guilty ver- verdict. And essentially, Mama Morton discusses Velma's imminent acquittal. And after the song is over, Roxy is introduced to Mama and Velma. Uh, and at first, I think Roxy is really like starstruck by Velma because we saw her in all that jazz. She was with like in the audience when she was performing, and she's asking her for advice uh, about not getting the death penalty. And Velma is like super rude to her, <laughs> saying she doesn't want anything to do with her. Um, and after that, Roxy is kind of being comforted by uh, Mama Morton, and she hears it's very unlikely she'll get hung because no woman ever got hung in their county. And that murder is kind of a form of entertainment in Chicago, which is kind of like the uh, reason for existence of the musical. Um, and Mama Morton finally offers to contact Billy for her for $100. So what do you think about the song When You're Good to Mama? I think the song itself, it's okay. I don't really okay. have much to say for for the song musically. I think it's just... Man, like it's not bad, but it's not great. 
Um, either um but like i said i think it's because in general i'm just not like a huge jazz fan so if there's anybody who likes jazz i'm sorry I just, <laughs> it's not, just not my thing um so yeah musically it's okay i don't really feel anything too special about it the one thing that i thought was really interesting i'm not sure if i picked that up from the musical but in the movie definitely she was using a green scarf so i thought it was a very interesting color symbolism because green means money right and she's like saying all this stuff about like oh i love you i'll be good to you um when she was like waving the green scarf pretty much asking for money if you give her money in return then obviously she'll be nice to you so i yeah yeah oh good oh my god um yeah in in the musical feature we we watched they didn't use scarves at all. Uh, mm-hmm. But I've seen uh, a few other renditions and they do use scarves there. So I think it just depends on the musical production you see. But uh, yeah, Green green is so clever for that, actually. Right. <laughs> and you see how money is a big factor for pretty much everybody who's a prisoner and not a prisoner in this mm-hmm. entire system. Um, I think the musical uh, Chicago gets uh, like... Um, compared to cabaret a lot and money is a big factor in cabaret as well and that's probably one of the big reasons why uh it get compared but um musically i i really enjoyed when you were good to mama i think it really gets to showcase the um the singer's vocal cords uh in the musical version we watched like in the end she had like amazing notes that she reached and she just like did outright belting um it's not terrific in the movie musical, I think it's uh, played by Queen Latifah, and obviously she does an amazing job there too. I think it's a it's a very like fun song. If I'm not mistaken, they base it off of uh, Sophie Tucker, who was a vaudeville performer at the time. Uh, so they're doing the research there. They're doing like a really good job emulating all the different vaudeville acts and every single like musical number they have. It's it's really good. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. <laughs> By yeah. the way, out of curiosity, because we went over like all the big numbers pretty much, did we reach your favorite um, song? Or I think my favorite will have to be Selbok Tango. <laughs> okay, okay. So we, we just passed it. Okay, good. Yeah, what about yours? Um, we didn't reach mine yet. <laughs> okay, okay. Yet to come. Um, yeah, but I feel like you often don't say what's your favorite. And I was like, I am so curious what you like most. Um <laughs> And I'm you know, sometimes really like I, it takes me some time to decide which one would be my favorite because even after weeks after you know maybe we record one episode, but one song could still be stuck in my head, like uh, a few weeks after, and I'll be like, oh, I really got hooked to the song, so maybe it should have been my favorite song, but I didn't oh, get the chance wasn't. to sing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know what? I was so so the song that is like in your brain and is constantly there wasn't the song that he picked his favorite can you give me an example i'm so curious because there's something well um and waitress right i think i told you my favorite song was like the one that she had with um what's his name a wise word from like an old man or something oh yes 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 you did yes Okay, so after that, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, this is my favorite. And I found out that, like, what baking can do is actually stuck my head more often. Ah. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, maybe I should have said that song instead. Such a good song, eh? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it's, it's really funny because I was going to, like, text you something like, oh, the movie in my mind is still stuck in my mind, actually. <laughs> um, I'm so glad I picked it as my favorite. Yeah, for me, it was the American dream that keeps on stucking my head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like, I guess in, in a lot of cases, it is accurate. But in some cases, you may change your mind. Um, but, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about my favorite when you get it. So, 
we have a segue into tap dance, um, which isn't really a song, but I guess we'll describe what happens. So Roxy convinces Amos to pay $5,000 fee for um, Billy. And uh, essentially she does that by telling him she still loves him. Mm -hmm. Um, The next song sequence we have is All I Care About. So finally we meet meet, um, Billy in the flesh. He presents himself as a very wholesome and charming guy with uh, his song All I Care About Is Love. Um, But like right after the song is over, we see that like his legal fees literally bankrupt Amos in the process. And in order to pay some of the legal fees, Roxy offers herself up to him. Kind of like she's like, oh, if you sleep with me, can you like chip some of the money off? Um, And obviously he refuses. And... um, I think, like, that's showcasing how what he sings about in All I Care About is phony and all he cares about is actually money because, and we see that later on affirmed in the musical, um, but it kind of gives us an idea that, like, he maintains a very specific image of himself because he knows the importance of your image in the media and that's the image he would like everybody to see of him. expensive things cashmere coats diamond rings don't mean a thing all i care about is love that's what i'm here for i don't care for wearing silk cravats ruby studs satin spats don't mean a thing all i care about is love I find it very interesting, too. So, like you said, the first lines that he sings were, um, I don't care about expensive things, or I yeah. care about his love. And to me, um, this image and this lyrics that are given to us are from Roxy's imagination of oh. how like she anticipates what he'll be like. Because let's remember, right, Roxy first heard about Billy from the mama and she kind of be like yeah if you go find billy he's the guy that can get you free so it seems to me that this description of a lawyer that has never lost a case someone who's you know like lucky golden coin to have mm-hmm. in a courtroom this image of him um, make it seems like he loves his job and cares about the woman that he's defending when really in reality he's like the exact opposite of that and he will defend any trial for like a high price as long as that it gives him more publicity and um and more money really mm-hmm. you know what you actually may be right in terms of the movie at the very least so mm-hmm. um so they went through a lot of like directors and screenwriters and two of the prominent screenwriters they they had before fell through and the final one that they got his idea was for all the numbers the musical numbers to be diegetic um through Roxy's imagination so every musical number is occurring in Roxy's imagination in a musical it may be the case as well but I think it's different I think everybody else is stuck in their own kind of like musical reverie and they have their own impression of everything Mm -hmm. so it's less like focused on Roxy as the point of view character but for the movie version it could be a very good analysis for this Mm -hmm. um Yeah, I think I'm I'm definitely coming more from the movie perspective just because like (laughs) I like it a lot more and I'm probably watching more than I did for the musical. So that's probably (laughs) I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Oh, my God. Um, All right. 
but yeah, for the song itself, I I really like it. I think it's a uh, it's like a very romantic number. I don't really associate it with the 1920s. Not that I would necessarily know what 1920s music feels like or sounds like. I think it's too far back. It's like a hundred years ago, right? Uh, but it reminds me of like the romantic era of the 1950s, and it shows how easy the bubble could be burst. <laughs> um, Okay, I'm curious to see what you thought about the next song. So the next song is a little bit of good. So um, Billy tells Roxy about some journalists that uh, are really easy to get a good positive spin. And one of those journalists is Mayor Sunshine. Um, and she's like overall a very sympathetic figure. She's very sympathetic with murderers and believes that there is good in everyone. Um, and the style of the song is very different from the rest of the um, music of the musical um it's much more operatic any thoughts about this um actually i have a question so this song i think was clean the movie and i think the character of mary sunshine looks pretty different in a movie versus in a musical i think so in the musical she was portrayed more as somebody who believed that there is some good in everybody and even a mother so like She's like more, I guess, the positive character. But in the movie, to me, she seems more like a person who just wanted to sell papers. And mm. she didn't really care about other stuff. So what do you think about that? I actually thought that she did retain a lot of her characteristics in the movie as well. Because um, in the next song, which is We Both Reach for the Gun... Uh, at first, Billy says, understandable. Yes, it's totally understandable, not a bit reprehensible. It's so defensible. And she echoes it when uh, this t- these two lines are sang again. So I think in that way, they're trying to show that she is very easy to like become empathetic to whoever it is and also it co- showcases how good Billy is at manipulating people. But by choosing her as a person to do that, I think it shows that she's particularly easy to get a spin, a positive spin from compared to the other journalists. Right. Okay. But yeah, the the person who they got to be Mary Sunshine in the uh, movie is really, really like great. I really like her from Mamma Mia, actually, Mm -hmm. and The Good Wife. Uh, I think her name is Christine Baranski. And in the musical, actually, the original, like the original role was played by a man. And in the very last trial scene with uh, Roxy, um, Billy actually takes away, snatches his wig, if you will, uh, to show kind of the hypocrisy of uh, the media and social justice. It was supposed to be like a metaphor. But yeah, it's it's interesting that in the musical, Mary Sunshine was originally a man. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um. So the next song is We Both Reached for the Gun. So... Um, Billy coaches Roxy on her like sympathetic backstory for the journalists before the first conference. And it's kind of like really important. The most important bit is that they both reached for the gun, both her and Fred. And Roxy got to it first and she shot Fred in self-defense. Understandable, understandable, yes, it's perfectly understandable, comprehensible, comprehensible, not a bit reprehensible, it's so defensible. So, um, Roxy is kind of like having her first 
press conference and the song shows how easily Billy, who accompanies her to the conference as her lawyer can manipulate the media to be supportive of Roxy. And it's shown through a ventriloquist act, which was really popular in vaudeville. Um, so he's kind of like a puppeteer and he's puppeteering Roxy. And in the movie version, they took it a step further and like they made it a marionette show. And Billy was like the uh, person who, I don't know, moved all the marionettes. And she doesn't really get to speak at all, so it looks like she's speaking visually, but Billy's doing all the speaking. In the movie, before the song begins, uh, that, that's a change from the musical, by the way, Velma sabotages her by telling her to remember that she shouldn't let Billy hog the spotlight, and she's kind of playing into the fact that Roly- Roxy really likes attention. So Roxy kind of, like, talks without Billy's instruction on her own before the songs begin. And then Billy is kind of like schooling her down and being like, no, I'm talking here Mm -hmm. um, when the song starts. So what are your thoughts on the song? Okay, so early on you asked me what's my least favorite and this would be my least favorite. I think it's just because um, musically just not to my taste. That's hilarious actually because (laughs) I knew it. I knew it. I knew that would happen. (laughs) Yeah, well... Okay, so other than the musical component of the song, which I don't enjoy as much, the song itself, the message, I think, would probably highlight the entire musical. So if you have to choose the song, like, to me, this would probably kind of be very similar to the chord of the message that the musical is trying to communicate. So to that point, I think this is a very iconic and very important number of the musical. And definitely can see how not just Roxy, but almost everybody really would kind of become like the puppet. And and Billy behind it all is the puppet master um, Mm -hmm. and that can easily influence other people's opinion or perception. So we're shown to the three characters in the same close-up, and this is in the movie, of course, together as um, Billy taps like Roxy's chin to make her give an innocent smile to mm-hmm. the audience slash reporters. So mm-hmm. this single frame shows like the audience the outcome of the equation is because of these three people, Roxy, um, Billy, and Miss Sunshine, pretty much. Mm-hmm. To th- So you need these three people to portray Roxy as the innocent girl wrongly accused for um, the murder. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it definitely has a lot of important theme. I really enjoy the imagery of the puppets. I think it's a very clever way to do it. And uh, something that I've really, really enjoyed in the musical, the addition of the um, marionettes. Uh, so it shows that he doesn't only control what Roxy says um, in, through the ventriloquist act, but also through um, like puppeteering the media. Um, so it shows like a greater control of what could be evoked in the, uh, in the musical. All right. So from that, we move on to the next song, Roxy. And uh, she kind of fantasizes about her career as an entertainer because she gets super popular in the press. And she narrates how she got to where she did in kind of like an imaginary act that she has. So um, we find out that she always wanted to be a vaudeville dancer all her life, but she got rejected all the time. And eventually she kind of like gave up hope and she decided to marry Amos. Uh, because he's like really safe Uh, but he wasn't a very good lover so Roxy started to fool around and that's how she met Fred Um, and in the very end she gave up the vaudeville act because she got really old or to her idea of what really old is Um, but she sees that she gets all this media press attention and it's kind of like sparking her hope that she can go ahead and do that um, when she gets released. 
So um, I like the showcasing of it as kind of like a almost a stand-up comedian because the way she talks about her life with Amos, it's clear that it's supposed to be kind of like a joke. Um, she has a lot, like she employs a lot of crude humor there, and I feel like that's probably something that was popular in stand-up at the time, and obviously today crude humor sells, I guess. So I like that they're again showing different pan of vaudeville and what vaudeville can be. Um, musically I think it's okay I don't have too strong feelings about it um the song is memorable I think it's just not as good as everything I've heard up until now yeah I think it's okay I think it has a very interesting character shift though because it kind of starts out how like a simple straightforward woman who kind of just wants to have fun but you definitely kind of see that progression of like she eventually now that she has a taste of what it feels like to be popular in media that she is like kind of scratching and clawing her way to the top or at least the top that as she sees it anyway Mm -hmm. so she becomes almost like Velma dealing from Velma's like not only mama's attention her lawyer her trial dates even her shoes later on but also Mm -hmm. like her personality her celebrity and her ambition too Mm -hmm. even though that I feel like she has already very great ambition to start with it doesn't necessarily mean that like she had this like oh I'm going to commit a murder and to get famous from it kind of mindset from the beginning is more so like it happened and she realizes oh this is another way that I can get the fame that I wanted mm-hmm. and she uses as a way to get that or to achieve that ambition that she once had so yeah. I find it very interesting how she's just kind of becoming like Velma oh the other thing is that I really like the use of mirror in the movie for this song mm-hmm. and she's as she's a very narcissist person and all she sees is always looking at her own reflection it definitely gives me that kind of feeling that she's only interested in herself. Mm-hmm. So I find that very interesting and very, very clever too. The yeah. lyrics um, I also find very interesting is that she says something like, I love them, them being the audience, for loving yeah. me and we love each other. And it's because none of us got any love in our childhood. So, so I don't Freudian. know. <laughs> I know, right? I was like, hmm, this is mean that she had a really bad childhood where she didn't get any kind of attention or love. Or maybe that's why so. she only knows how to love herself, but not to love other people. I think she had a very unremarkable childhood because they do ask her about her parents. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least Billy asks her about her parents beforehand, before he coaches her on what to say. Um, And she's like, oh, I know they're very unremarkable people themselves. So obviously they're like people of little ambition or little interest in getting attention. Um, And she's very different from them. So in my opinion, she actually had very typical childhood. And it's her own intrinsic need to want to be more sensational. That is getting her where she wants. And also, I feel like for me, one of the interesting things is that she was almost she was always like Velma. In the sense that she wanted from for, for, from forever, actually, because she tried in the past to be in vaudeville, to be uh, in the center of attention. It's not something that is new for her, but she gave up hope. Mm-hmm. And the movie, more than anything, highlights how ambitious she is and how single-minded she is about getting attention. Um, and obviously, it wasn't the reason why she committed a murder, but it's something that like was always there for her it's something that is an integral part of her character and that's actually why she has such intense rivalry 
with Velma in the musical and also why they team up after they get released. Um, apart from that, I didn't like uh, really pay attention to the mirror effect, but it's really interesting. Uh, and I think it's, it's a good job because she is incredibly narcissistic as a person. Yeah. What I yeah. did notice, obviously, is the huge billboard kind of like lights that she has there spelling out her name. And that's Definitely. what she was like, got to me is like, oh, she's super narcissistic. And look how it's <laughs> visualized here. Um, but yeah, I think the the mirror is probably a really good satellite to do it, too. Yeah. All right. So we're getting to the next song, which I think is pretty fun. Um, it's I Can't Do It Alone. So as we heard, Roxy is actually getting really popular in the media. And then Velma realizes that she might have made a huge mistake being a jerk to Roxy earlier. And now she wants and needs Roxy to stay relevant. Uh, So in this song, she's actually trying to convince Roxy to do a double act with her for her vaudeville show. And the end of the song, Roxy refuses. Um, What do you think of it? I don't really feel too much about this, to be honest. I thought that it was just Velma just has to do what she had to do to kind of stay relevant. Um, in terms of the song, I don't really think that there's anything too, too special ab- about it. I find it interesting that how their role are reversed in yeah. a way. And even though, like, Roxy is still, you know, in all that jazz, she's an audience. And in this song, she's still an audience. But, like, that power level or, like, the, the power equation is definitely shift and, and reversed. But, yeah, but still, like, musically, I don't think too much of it. What do you think? Um, I actually really like it. Um, I think it's super entertaining for the dancing specifically. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the song itself, because it's so dancing heavy, it cannot be too remarkable. Um, but it's so fun. You get to see so many like acting abilities at play and different dancing styles. Uh, I think it's really entertaining for that. And you also get to see like some real gems from Roxy based on her reaction to like the first part of the sequence, the vaudeville sequence, and then the second part of the sequence. And that's really when you get to see the power shift, like you mentioned. But I think it's just so energetic and so thrilling to see how she's trying to court Roxy to be part of her show, to stay relevant. And it showcases that for Velma as well, the most important thing is to be in the spotlight, to have attention on her. And she's willing to let her pride go in order to get what she wants. Because she obviously thinks herself as superior to Roxy because she has a history Mm -hmm. in showbiz already. But she has to let her pride go and she has to kind of lower herself to ask and perform in front of Roxy uh, in order to hopefully get what she wants. So I think it tells us a lot about Velma. And I, I really enjoy it as a, as a kind of character defining moment for her. And also because you get to see how good at dancing she is. Mm-hmm. Um, so we cut to that with Chicago After Midnight and let's just couple it with my own best friend so um, a new murderess comes into the prison and Roxy suddenly gets ignored as a result I think uh, the, the new murderess is like a Harris uh, from Hawaii and she's really important and uh, obviously because she has a lot of money she can get Billy as a lawyer um, and that's what she does so she's getting ignored by the press by Billy, by Mama Morton essentially by everybody and obviously Velma is like huh I guess you see what it feels like in the movie um in the musical they both kind of feel sorry for themselves but don't really interact with each other I feel even though they sing the duet as my own best friend so um in my own best friend 
Velma and Roxy reflect on not being able to count on anybody but themselves to stay relevant. And then mm-hmm. you got to get the feeling that Velma is doing it due to Roxy rejecting her. And Roxy is recognizing the first signs of becoming irrelevant. And that's why she is um, singing this. Uh, but the difference between them is that Roxy is deciding to take matters into her own hand. And uh, she pretends to be pregnant in front of the press to maintain her popularity. While we're at it... In the finale for Act 1, all that jazz reprise, Velma laments and not thinking of doing the same thing. And literally the line is just, and all that jazz, and she sings it, and that's it. <laughs> Ending of Act 1. Um, yes. What are your thoughts? Well, I was really happy to see Roxy losing the attention I, and yeah, the popularity. We're looking forward to it. You're like, oh, final rock bottom for Roxy. I and know, like, I know. Gosh no. <laughs> And she pulled on another act, so... Damn it. Um, I thought it was a very ironic line when, okay, so in the movie, when Billy was trying to tell other people what happened with this, like, newcom murderer, uh, he, I guess, quoted what the victim said to um, the murderer, saying that, come on, are you going to believe what you see or what I tell you? And I thought that was so brilliant yeah. because it's, it's like, pretty much, like, summarized the whole musical, too. So I thought it was very interesting. And in terms of my own best friend, uh, musically, it's not much again, but I think these songs were, it gives me actually a kind of almost like a sad sort of feeling. And it's very sarcastic to see, even though that, you know, they are getting all this popularity, they're getting all this public attention, and everybody's obviously talking about them. But really, there are they are lonely inside and they only have themselves as best friends since no one else really care about them and we see this throughout the musical to like a later on billy literally told roxy that nobody's gonna care about you whether you're dead or not and amos. all they care about sorry amos okay yeah amos. but that's like one person <laughs> and it's not the same for Vilma, right that's so true. and we also have milma in the song too that's so true, that's true. <laughs> yeah so in that sense like the only person who really cares about their well-being or like them themselves as a person as an individual will be just themselves and nobody else and mm-hmm. I guess for Roxy she's lucky because she's Amos but like it's not the same for everybody right mm-hmm. and in the end you can only count on yourself to stay relevant and it's a continuous battle that you have to always fight just so you can kind of keep appearing in the papers so in this sense um it almost like make me feel like it's very relatable too in our era just because in the social media today too you have to like for example continuously like keep on posting on like instagram for example where you have to like keep making yourself um visible or if you're a YouTuber, you have to keep on posting videos so like people remember you. Otherwise, like, mm-hmm. they're just very easily distracted and you can be forgotten just like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I actually didn't really like that song all that much. I thought. I mean, I of... didn't like it musically, but I thought oh, okay, that okay. The, the meaning was interesting. Yeah, yeah, the meaning is definitely interesting. It's kind of funny that Velma murdered everybody who could potentially care about her, <laughs> like her blood ties and stuff like that. Because um, she was like married and she murdered her husband, she murdered her sister. So, all the people you would think would love you unconditionally, uh, she killed. <laughs> but she, they betrayed her too. They betrayed so. her, that's true. Um, but yeah, with Roxy, she has Amos, but obviously, she doesn't really view Amos as a person. So, she, in essence, doesn't really have anybody who cares about her 
um, because she doesn't care about them. So she, do- she doesn't value them or doesn't respect them. So their opinion means nothing to her. So in that essence, she actually has nobody. But yeah, musically, I didn't really enjoy it all that much. <laughs> but yeah, so that was the end of Act 1. And with Act 2, uh, we have I Know a Girl. So Velma kind of like narrates things narrate in between uh, about Roxy and how she's handling her lie about the pregnancy and kind of like we see how Roxy is becoming like more and more popular in the media due to that and I think around the middle of the song uh, we see Roxy seducing and sleeping with the doctor to so the doctor would lie for her on the witness stand and from that we segue to me and my baby I can just jam them into one. So Roxy sings about her future with her baby in front of the press and Amos is there too saying he's the father but everybody ignores him. Any thoughts about these two songs? Well, I think in I Know a Girl, like, it's very interesting because we also see in the musical version that Velma is on the ladder, just kind of like Roxy in Funny Honey. Yeah. And so she feels like she's observing from the top. Yeah. Um, I agree with, like, the whole corruption of, like, obviously the media, but also maybe the medical system, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was such a such a Roxy move. To sleep with somebody to get her uh, to get him involved for her pregnancy, I thought that was very evilly brilliant in a way. And um, in me and my baby, I just felt very bad for Amos. Like seriously, oh yeah, he deserves so much better. He does. And not to expose my 2012 Tumblr usage, but he is a cinnamon roll, too good for this world, too pure. Um, he really deserves so much better than Roxy. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, in terms of the the uh, musical numbers I know a girl a lot of a lot of it is narration rather than like musical um so it's okay it kind of like gets the point across of what's happening me and my baby I really enjoyed musically it's a very fun energetic number um I thought it's like it's memorable too I'm kind of sad they cut it from the musical because I really enjoyed seeing it and listening to it mm. but yeah here's a number they would definitely not cut from anywhere um <laughs> it's Mr. Cellophane so, Aww. yeah, it's actually a pretty well-known number, too, if I'm not mistaken. I've heard it referenced several times in, like, other um, other shows and stuff. So, um, Amos stays behind a press conference after Roxy's talking about her baby um, and asks if anybody noticed him saying that he was the father of the baby. Nobody's reacting. And then he sings about being so unassuming, he becomes invisible. Should have been my name, Mr. Cellophane. Cause you can look right through me, walk right by me, and never know I'm there. I tell you, cellophane, Mr. Cellophane, should have been my name, Mr. Cellophane. Cause you can look right through me, walk right by me. And never know I'm there. In the song also, Billy manipulates Amos to divorce Roxy for the court uh, for sympathy by saying that Amos couldn't possibly be the father of the child and showing him like a signed testimony by Roxy saying that they haven't like um, had sex for four months so he couldn't possibly be the father according to the dates. Um, and I feel really, really bad for Amos mm-hmm. throughout the entire musical. But uh, something that was important to me um, is the difference between the musical and the movie version of Mr. Cellophane. The actor who plays Amos in the um, movie version 
does a really good job in the acting sense to embody him, but he is very charismatic singing Mr. Cellophane. He seems like a leading man singing, singing Mr. Cellophane. He doesn't seem invisible. He doesn't seem unassuming. He has a presence. And I don't enjoy that. Even though he's a very good singer, he sounds great. I don't enjoy the fact that he has too much personality, too much character. No. The actor who plays him in the musical is a whole package because he truly, truly seems unassuming. He truly seems invisible. He has the whole miming act in the musical, in the movie mm. musical. Um, which obviously shows like that he has no words, nobody is listening to him because he has he says nothing. Um, which I think is a good way to show that he's invisible, especially since there are like um beggars a lot of the time. You would see like mimes everywhere, especially like back then, and you would ignore them because they're beggars. Um, you wouldn't like want to give them money and stuff like that, so that makes him even more invisible. So yeah, I thought that was really good, but I really I have I have a little bone to pick with the actor who plays him in the movie. That's that's interesting. Because I thought work. he wasn't that charismatic anyway, but I guess it's still... For, for his character, probably, like mm-hmm. you have to be um, more convincing in, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> I feel really bad for him. Because like, even though we can see constantly like he's hurt, he's humiliated, but he still come up with the money for her defense. And when he thinks that Roxy's having a baby, he immediately agrees to take her back so really he's just like an ordinary man who wants an ordinary happy domestic life but that's just not what Roxy wants and obviously not what the public wants because it to me is a song that mocks how a normal man like him is so uninteresting that people would much prefer to pay attention to murders or people whose nature is not entirely pure and good like Roxy rather than him who mm-hmm. is a sweet person, but nonetheless, probably not that interesting. And the oh. last line when he says that, oh, I hope I didn't take too much of your time. I know! Oh, it breaks my heart. It's so sad. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. He's like afraid of taking up space. Yeah. Oh, I felt really bad for him too. Like, I like uh, <laughs> the song. Uh, it's a good song, by the way, like musically. Mm-hmm. It's definitely very memorable. Um, unlike, I guess, Amos. Uh, but there's no way you couldn't feel bad for Amos. He's such a sweetheart. He, I believe he agreed to take her before the child because he fronted the legal fees before. So he just went by the word of saying, I, I made a mistake by cheating on you. I love you. And he got convinced. So he's so pure. <laughs> he's far yeah. too good in this world. Okay. So the next song is When Velma Takes the Stand. Uh, it's not actually much of a song, to be honest. But uh, Velma tries to get Billy's attention by going over her trial tactics, but she gets largely ignored in favor of Roxy. The important part of this is not actually the song. It's that after the sequence, Roxy gets like too big of an ego, and um, she says that she doesn't really need Billy anymore because like she came up with um, her being sensational in the media, you know, the baby thing, and fires him. Um, and Billy warns her that she isn't actually a celebrity and that the public doesn't actually care if she's famous for being alive or dead, either or they're pleased, as long as there's something sensational. Um, and it's actually Billy that made the public image that the public loves, not her. And after Billy leaves, due to being fired, obviously, um, Roxy learns that Aa is going to be the first woman in um, the county to be hung. And uh, she gets scared and rehires him. And for me, the moment that uh, uh, gets hung is actually extremely heartbreaking. It's so sad. And it's 
such a sobering moment in a show that doesn't take itself too seriously. And I find it especially heartbreaking in the musical when she believes in Uncle Sam's goodness, just and like fairness. And that's the exact same system that's cheering for her dead until the very last moment she lives. Um, and I just find that extremely heartbreaking and very, very sad. Agree, agree. In this scene, they even introduce it by saying something like, for your entertainment, yeah. um, the Hungarian's going to perform like a rope trick or something. Yeah. So in both the movie and the musical, I find it super heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very sarcastic, too. Again, like she's probably the only innocent person, but she goes to her death and, mm-hmm. and well, like the guilty one walks free. So I, I find it very like- sad to watch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously it's because she's a foreigner and she can't defend herself. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't know any English and people are taking advantage of it for the sensational thing. It's so easy to admit to, like, um, kind of persecute somebody who can't defend themselves rather than admit that you don't actually have the correct criminal and do the work to find for out sure. that you don't have the correct person. The, mm-hmm. the public is happy because they think the person who committed a crime got their justice, I guess, or uh, got their punishment. And... Um, they also get the first ever execution of a, of a woman. And, uh, you know, the legal system is happy because, oh, you know, it's one case off of our list. It's one problem solved. Um, and they don't actually care about the consequences. And the consequences are an innocent person dies. Um, so that's exactly why it's so heartbreaking that she is an innocent and very, like, I don't know, an innocent person in her personality, not just like the fact that she didn't commit her her crime. She is naive. She believes that Uncle Sam is just, like America is just. And these are the kind of people that is the easiest to take advantage of. Like Amos is naive, for example. So they see like a person who is naive cannot fend for themselves because they don't have their eyes wide open and they're not understanding what the system is actually like. Um, Yes. Next song. So we cut to the moment before Roxy's trial. Roxy admits that she's scared and Billy tells her she shouldn't be. So uh, the jury can easily be manipulated with smoke and mirror uh, or razzle dazzle since it's all a circus and he knows how to navigate it. So um, this is when he performs his song razzle dazzle. I find the setting for the songs very interesting. Like the doors to the courtroom, they're opened by two women who dress like as though they're in the circus. And once you go into this is in the movie, of course. And yeah. once what we find is that the courtroom is also filled with women who all dress pretty similarly. Mm-hmm. Um, the walls of the room, they're decorated as a circus tent. Mm-hmm. And so this scene really gives us like um, a feeling into Bill's life in the courtroom where he is yeah. most comfortable. The, the other thing I think was very different in the movie versus in the musical is also, mm-hmm. like, in the movie, Velma appeared with, like, a diary. I think maybe after the song, I'm not sure. Um, only in the movie, yes. <laughs> only in the movie, yes. Uh, so she, she 
show up with a diary saying that this could be used as an evidence saying that Roxy had motive and she has planned the murder and therefore she's not innocent. But this kind of turned out to be, this was like a coordinated show that mm-hmm. Billy and Velma had together so they can make sure that Roxy walks free. And obviously Velma will probably walk free too because now that the credit of the, the police, I guess, mm-hmm. is not so much anymore as they summit like a fake... Um, evident mm-hmm. so at first i thought that it was it was very unfair because they kind of pull they frame the the fake evidence to the police right mm-hmm. but on second thought that they, i think they said something like um if they if he wins this trial then maybe he'll win the election of the mayor or something of the city so mm-hmm. It, against Shoyu is not just the the quote-unquote bad people who are using the trial as a game or like as a way to get what they want but yeah. also for like the quote-unquote good man like the police or the jury or like the justice system mm-hmm. that we believe is all about justice and good like they're also using it as a mean as a game to get what they want to achieve so it's yeah. not really just one side that's corrupted it's like everybody is corrupted exactly. in the system Totally, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a very fun song. It's also very well yeah. known. Um, it's a meme actually too now, so like uh, very widespread. Um, I enjoyed musically. Obviously, it's a it's a good metaphor and analogy to what's happening in the musical. Um, if we both reach for the gun is like a showmanship of how the media is actually like razzle dazzle is a show of how the justice system is actually like. So in terms of the trial. Roxy steals virtually everything from Velma, like you said before, so she steals her publicity, trial day, trial tactics, shoes, and Velma and Mama sing about this. In the movie, they add a bit where, like, the Velma is, testif- oh, Velma is testifying against Roxy, so she gets kind of, like, to confront her in a way directly, rather than sing the song in class. Um, I'm not sure if the movie equivalent of class is Velma testifying against Roxy, or where... Amos kind of like, I don't know, there is a tap dance almost that Billy does when he's kind of like manipulating all of the jury during the trial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of shows, again, how easy it is for him to manipulate everything to be to his liking. And since that's the more like show aspect, that could be considered class. But class is a song that is sung about Roxy by Velma and Mama Morton. So the act that Velma has with the diary is a replacement for it potentially. So I'm not sure which one is more of a direct replacement for a class. Mm-hmm. The song. Um, in the movie. Do you have any hypothesis? I was gonna say that I feel like there was no like direct equivalent of the song in the movie. I do mm-hmm. agree that they still it was still represented and they still mm-hmm. kind of managed to show it in like maybe some of the scenes, but I don't feel like collectively this song was put at like a It's obviously major- not a one to one, right? Yeah. Yeah, but, that's what I think. But I think like the the meaning of it is conveyed, but I think it's really confusing because there is an act. The tap dancing is an act and it's supposed to be like a replacement to you know, all the all the shows that they have there and all the different, like, showbiz um, and art styles that they have there. But the person who performs it is Billy, and the meaning or the reason why he performs it is different than the meaning of the song. Yeah. So I think it's very muddled in that case. 
Yeah, um, I agree. I think it's very vague in a way because I don't understand if they're going to convey the message of the song. Like, why did they choose Billy out of yeah, everybody? Exactly. <laughs> Especially since he just had his number. That is yeah. the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you got Velma to do that top dance, I guess it will show it in a different way. Or even you could have done a tango, even though you already had a tango, but some kind of like salsa dance or something between her and Billy. Um, that would have shown the back and forth of her testifying against Roxy. And you could have gotten the aspect of her getting her comeuppance against Roxy in a way, venting her frustration, and the aspect of the trial being corrupt and easy to manipulate. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. It was a missed opportunity. But uh, the song itself, Class, uh, is sung in a musical uh, by Mama Morton and Velma. And I think it's a pretty okay song. It's like their voices combine really well, but I don't think it's super memorable. Yeah, same. I think it's ironic because that yeah, they can classy lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like you don't even have class. Why are you complaining about it? Um yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're like they're all part of the reason why the world has become the way it is now and this entire show literally just tells you why the exact reason why there's no class because people with class such as Amos who are like sweet and normal they don't they just don't get acknowledged and they get ignored exactly yeah um yeah so i guess after that we get like roxy who gets acquitted and as soon as she gets released another big murder occurs and as a result she kind of loses all the attention from the press which she was really counting on because she's like oh you know my big trial uh is happening and that could launch my vaudeville career um and she her big trial is not getting any recognition as soon as it's over. So um, after everybody leaves with the press, um, she has kind of like her conversation with Billy saying that she's not necessary to the media anymore because there is no conflict anymore and she should just be happy that she has her life. And uh, when she's like, I don't care about that, I only care about my attention, he leaves. Then Amos uh, is waiting for Roxy and he's trying to take her home um he wants to live together with her as a family with her baby which is so sweet i know and roxy admits that there is no baby and leaves amos or more like amos is like my exit song and nothing <laughs> he just exits. i know oh my um, god so i know he's just so he's so he's so cute um i can't get over it but then we cut to roxy and velma in a joint vaudeville act singing about their notoriety as murderers and in the end of the musical, I guess both Roxy and Velma end up getting exactly what they wanted all along. And no consequences whatsoever, which is probably the biggest thing, the, vo- the, the biggest message in the entire musical. Like, all that matters is the showmanship and not what's actually occurring. Yeah, <laughs> I, I find it... Um honestly pretty relatable at the personal level too just because like the lyrics to nowadays it shows like a conflicting feeling about the show bits kind of it's like dirty but also very exciting so Mm -hmm. you know how like in um the announcer when when the nowadays the song came up he says that his theater is the home of the chronicle like family entertainment Mm -hmm. and he introduces the chicago's killer dealers and they have like another commentary on today's entertainment industry and it reminds me of all the shows like the crime shows you see on netflix yeah. all the documentaries that kind of resolve around the murderers and like how they commit their murders and like they made it into shows too mm-hmm. and 
I wash them, <laughs> you know. And I, I could I actually, never. I don't know how you do this. I'd get scared. I enjoy them, <laughs> and I think they're like also podcasts, YouTube videos, like anything that you can find, like books and media's. Like these are things that people want to read about murderers. Like they want to know about the crimes, and we're still very much attracted to these kind of stuff. So I guess it kind of rings a bell to me because. Kind of reminds us, like, okay, so how much of this world is still relevant to the world we live in today? And obviously, it's still 100% like relevant 100%. today, right? Yeah. And then, like, thinking about all the very violent movies and TV shows, it's 100% relevant. All this time, like, I'm like, oh my god, Roxy is such a bad character. I feel so bad for Amos and stuff. But at the same time, we were watching it, and still today we are like conveying that sort of message, and we're still attracted to these kind of stories. So in a way, we're still the audience. That's no different than the audience in like 1920s.、Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Just to me, this was the song that kind of made me go like aha moment, and I was like, oh, maybe I'm also part of this too because obviously I still like them very much, <laughs> and it, this is like the whole message、uh, the musical was trying to say too. So. Yeah, interestingly yeah. enough, I read elsewhere in vaudeville、uh, they had all sorts of like shadier characters performing, and there were two women who performed under the、uh, name Shooting Stars, and they actually were murderers <laughs> who got、oh, to、wow. perform in vaudeville afterward. It's not the it's not what this、uh, this musical is about, but you can see that this is actually something that could occur and did occur in actual 1920s vaudeville culture. Um, wow. And it's something that is definitely still relevant today with all the fascination. I'm interested. So、um, that's something that is more recent. But for example, a lot of mass shooters,、um, the media started not saying their names、mm-hmm. because they found that there was a chain reaction if a person gets famous for doing a mass killing, specifically through mass shooting,、um, and their name gets famous, it encourages other people to get famous through that way and encourages a higher incidence rate of mass shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, in something that we see today, so a lot of media started experimenting on not showing or not seeing or not advertising the person who committed the crime. I would like to see us go in that trajectory, but there is a very big market for people who are interested in it. Like I think serial killers have fandoms. Like there are people、They、who are、do. obsessed, and、They、I don't do. understand that one bit. <laughs> I really don't.、Um, but maybe that's just because I'm afraid of everything. But Like there's there's a huge demand, huge demand for all this kind of stuff.、Um, but yeah, it's it's very interesting for sure, and it is the entire thing is relevant today. You know, corruptions within criminal justice is stuff that we see all the time, especially in like、um, sexual assault cases. I find that it's it's very easy to see, unfortunately,、um, and you know, corruption in the media or specifically how the media can be super toxic、um, is stuff that we are seeing a lot now after the attention for、um, you know Britney Spears and all that kind of cases and how like she was hounded by the media and how she was exploited by the media、uh, due to her status as a celebrity. So. You get definitely to see how relevant it is today,、um, and yeah, I think Chicago has a lot of these themes, and that's why people are still remembering it in a, a positive way. The revival is super successful,、um, and why our kind of society at the current time can relate to everything that is going on more than 1975, I guess, society. Right. Let's do a drum roll. 
And do you want to give us your ranking first? Okay, let's do that. Drum rolls. All right, I'll give it a seven. Um, what about you? I'm going to give it an eight out of pops. Oh, nice. Okay. That is Chicago. That is Chicago. All right. So I guess we'll do our closing. If you do want to tell us anything about Chicago, you want to have any conversation, you wanted to tell us that we did something really right or really wrong, feel free to contact, uh, to contact us at Podway Podcast. Um, you can find us on Instagram, on Twitter, on Reddit, and you can also email us at podwaypodcast at gmail.com. Yes. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. And likewise, we'll see you in our next episode with more musicals to come. All right. Bye. <laughs> bye.